I think I'm live. Well, hi everybody. This is gonna be fun. I hope it goes well. This is me doing what I always do and what I tell my students to do, and that's just try something, and if it fails, hey, that's okay. You learn, you try again, and if it goes well, cool. Um, so in this show, this week, I'm gonna start off sharing a few thoughts that I have, some things that I think that Christians need to consider in their political and cultural engagement. In our conversations uh, with people, these are three things that I'm gonna go over of what I think you should consider and have in mind. Now, along with that, I am, as you probably saw, testing out for the very first time a live call-in feature. So if you don't want to call into the show and you have questions for me, uh, you can post those in the in the live chat and I'll try to get to them as best as I can and respond throughout the show after kind of the initial comments on a Christian cultural engagement. However, if you would like to call in and you would like to talk through your issue, your topic, your question with me, you can text the number. I think I can put it here. Yep, there we go. 714-989-6927. Please include your name uh, if you want your video shown or if you want audio only, and then the question that you have. At that point, I have someone who is screening those texts. We'll send you a link that you can click on and you can join me. So, that is how you can join the conversation. Uh, if you want to join live or again, post your question in the live chat and I will get to them as well. Now, as I mentioned in a short video I put out a little bit ago, but I want to tell you now, this is the last live stream of 2020. I am moving right behind me are boxes and next to me are more boxes. My studio is getting broken down tomorrow and I am moving into a new place. And then I'm just going to take a break over Christmas. But please don't go anywhere because in January, I'm coming back the interview, Thinking About Evolution, 25 Questions Christians Want Answered, the newest book put out by Reasons to Believe, multiple contributors, Anjanette Roberts, Fazal Rana, Sue Dykes, and Mark Perez. Fuzz Rana is going to be coming on to answer your questions that you have about evolution on January 6th. So mark your calendars. You can subscribe and make sure that you don't miss that fun conversation starting off the new year with one of my favorite topics, evolution. Um, so with that, we are going to jump in and we are... Um, going to get to your questions here in a moment. If Again, if you have those, you can call in and, um, and get in the queue. But beginning, I want to share three things I think that Christians need to have in mind in their cultural um, engagement. And, and they are, one, it is um, tolerance. Uh, and this is actually, let me take a step back. These are three things that came to mind after I did my interview on immigration with Daniel Carroll, and then my second interview with... Um, David French on a Christian approach to a divided nation. And these were issues that came in. These were comments that were made by those of you who watched and listened. These are post conversations I had, as well as this is information that I teach my students that I think we need to maybe take a step back and, and factor in these three things. So the first thing is tolerance. What is true tolerance? Number two is ethics. What is the Christian ethic? I think this is actually one point, as I see people making comments online, Christians, I mean, as Christians make comments online, um, I see what appears to be um, maybe not a Christian ethic and maybe one way that we can improve there. Uh, and then lastly is going to be our attitude. And so those are the three points that I want to think about. First of all is tolerance. Um, how do we tolerate and when should we tolerate? Well, the pushback that I got during the interview with David French was that, well, did Jesus tolerate the Pharisees? And the answer in one sense is no. But here we have to understand, I think, three maybe distinctions, uh, three freedoms that we have. And the first thing is, and I would say that we need to defend, is a freedom of conscience. People should be able, in my belief, I strongly believe this and I will defend it, is that people should be able to believe what they want. We should not be... Um, 
forcing people to believe and, and say they believe certain things. We should have a freedom of conscience that we can believe what we want without coercion. And so if someone wants to believe whatever they want, they can believe those things. And we should support their freedom to believe that. The second thing is going to be a freedom of speech. I believe very strongly in a freedom of speech. Now here we get to some gray areas where it's like you don't have the freedom to go into you know a small room and yell fire, right? Any kind of speech that can actually hurt someone or cause panic, those sort of things, uh, we recognize as being maybe not okay. Uh, but the ability to freely say what you believe, uh, who you support for president, uh, what you believe religiously, uh, we need to support that and defend that. That people have the freedom to, to say what they believe. And so for Christians to be able to say, like, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and he died and rose again from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins. And then without a knowledge in him, you will spend eternity in separation from him in hell. That is not a nice statement. But I hope that people would defend my belief to make that statement as I would defend their belief to say that Muhammad is the you know true prophet of Allah. Um, I'm going to disagree. We can have conversations where we try to persuade them and have those kind of things. But I'm going to tolerate people who believe differently and I'm going to tolerate people who speak differently. Why? Because we're called to love and care for those. Now, tolerance, again, is a willingness to recognize and respect the dignity of those whom, with whom we disagree. And that's a question maybe to ask yourself is, do you recognize, do you respect the dignity of those who believe different than you? And do you respect the dignity of those who speak differently than you? I think those are two things that we have to tolerate. Now, where I think the confusion then comes in is step three is this freedom of action, right? So you have freedom of belief, freedom of speech, and then freedom of action. And we recognize there are actions that cause harm to people. There are actions that are wrong. Right? I talked about this with my students this week in this topic of abortion. And one of the common arguments is the woman's right to choose. My response is, choose what? No one gets this blanket freedom to choose whatever they want. We realize there are some choices that are fundamentally wrong. You can't have the freedom to choose to own a slave. You don't have the freedom to choose for husbands to abuse their wives. These are wrong. And so we take that choice away. And so this is the way I think that we have to recognize and say, look, I can respect you. I can respect the dignity of, what, of who you are as an image bearer, someone created in the image of God. But I will stop you when you are doing something that is causing harm to someone else. That is not going against tolerance. And so here's where I think the objection of Jesus coming in is, well, did Jesus tolerate the Pharisees? No. Well, what were the Pharisees doing? The Pharisees were not just believing wrongly and they were not just speaking wrongly, but the Pharisees were leading people to hell. They were, they were creating sons of the devils. I think what Jesus said at one point, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. And so Jesus is going to stop that. And Jesus calls it out. You see, there's a way to respect the dignity of someone. And so when I think that this applies to us is we should be able to see people who strongly disagree with us, who are completely on the other side of political and cultural issues than us as valuable human beings created in the image of God, which is what we'll get to at the end with our attitude. We can respect their freedom of conscience to believe that they want to believe. We can respect their freedom of speech to say what they want to say. But the moment that speech begins to turn into action where it is taking away the fundamental human rights of other people, then we do something to stop it. Right? Tolerance does not mean to sit back and be a doormat and let anyone do whatever they want to do. That's not what tolerance means. And tolerance also does not mean that we can't say anything to stop someone. Right? We can. 
but it is how we say it, when we say it, and what we're saying it against. So that's the first thing I think is a, maybe a, a, a better under, understanding of tolerance. Now, the second thing I think that I see often is the Christian ethic. And the way that Christians are responding is maybe not so much coming from a Christian ethic. Christianity, Christianity does not teach a utilitarian or a pragmatic ethic. And what do I mean by that? Pragmatism is that since truth is whatever works, Morality is whatever is useful for society, right? So we sometimes hear arguments like, well, but this person is doing what works or what they're doing is helping us. That may be true, but we have to be careful that we don't fall into this view that what is right and wrong is based on what works, right? I called out a high school student for this at a camp a few years ago because he said he was always told smoking weed is bad because it will have a negative effect on your life. And so does drinking. And he goes, but guess what? I smoked weed. I drank alcohol. My life hasn't turned out bad. It must be okay. And my first question was, why do you judge the morality of something based on the response? Why do you judge the morality of someone or of something based on how it affects you, right? That's not the Christian view is pragmatism. Uh, it's not utilitarian view, which is also, uh, as I see here, um, uh, sorry, I got distracted because the first person called in. So thanks for being here. I'm going to get to you in just a moment. Again, if you want to call in and talk, uh, you can uh, do that here um, and get in the queue. But um, it's not utilitarian. Of It is to pursue the greatest good for the greatest number of people. That's not our goal as a Christian view either. So whatever's moral is not that. Christian ethic is based, I would teach, on Luke 10, 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that this sums up all the law and the prophets, these two commands. It is based on loving God and loving our neighbor. We should be able to call out evil when it is evil and good when it's good. Now, in a conversation I recently had on this topic, I think a helpful illustration is the topic of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers, right? At the end of Genesis, it says God uses evil for good. We would never say that because it turned out good, that what the brothers did was good, right? God uses evil for good all the time. So God can be using certain people and certain uh, laws and certain things in our culture for a good outcome. But we should still be able to say, but that thing though, isn't good. That, that what that happened is inappropriate. What happened there is wrong, even if it is used for good. And so I think in a Christian ethic, uh, it's very important to recognize it's not simply just the end result, and it's not simply just the greatest good for the greatest number of people, but we should be able to look at specific circumstances to say good, bad, right, and wrong. Now, what's difficult with this, though, is that when you're choosing a political candidate, when you're in a political party, there are so many different issues that are involved, right? So there is the argument that we need to pick the best package. But here's my encouragement is... And this is what kind of the interview with David French was, is within that best package, can we still say this part is maybe, I don't like this part, this part is wrong, this is not a good position, this needs to change to make the package even a better package. So um, I wanted to read a couple things out of my textbook. So first of all, um, for my worldview textbook, I'm teaching my sophomores and juniors in the section on ethics. It says here that the Christian view, the goal is not merely to perform a duty but to love God with every aspect of our being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Christianity involves a relationship to a person, not merely a religious responsibility. And only seeking to reflect God's character leads to true flourishing. And so I think that would be my encouragement here with the, with the ethics section is, 
what is our, our focus? Is our focus to reflect God's character or is my focus to argue for a certain political position? And I think that we need to take a step back and say, hold on, what is God's character? How can we call out right and wrong with that being our focus? Um, it's not just performing a certain duty, right? As I think this is so important, not only is it a relationship with a person, God, but it's relationship with people. Love God and love people. This is something I was challenged in uh, just last night by my community group, uh, talking about when to help kind of with poverty and people asking for money. And my issue that I have is, sometimes devaluing that person, not seeing them as a human being and walking right by. Because I don't want to have that difficult conversation of I, maybe I, I don't want to give money to you rather than saying, look, this is a suffering human being. This is a human being that may be in a difficult place because maybe they made some really bad decisions and it's their fault, but maybe it's not their fault. Maybe it's someone else. But this is still a human being made in the image of God that we are called to love and care for. And so I think that needs to be our approach as we understand and being able to call out evil when it's evil and good when it's good, rather than sometimes arguing from this utilitarian or pragmatic ethic, which is a secular view that simply says, hey, it worked, therefore it was good. Or this candidate did some good things, right? And so um, how I kind of thought about this is, is uh, when I was young, I remember watching uh, a movie um, I don't know if when I close that, okay, good. It doesn't kick you out. Um, I remember watching a movie, listening to a song and my mom getting mad at me that it was a bad song. And my response was, it wasn't as bad as this movie. This movie's worse. Isn't it a good thing I'm not watching that one? To which her response was, well, they're both bad. Don't watch either. <laughs> we often want to compare ourselves to, well, I'm not Hitler, right? We hear this from non-Christians all the time. Uh, well, it's not as bad as this person. I'm a good person, right? I'm not like Hitler. I'm not like the murderer. Well, it, yeah, this movie is not that good, but it's not as bad as that one, right? Which we recognize, though, the goal of the Christian is not to compare ourselves to what is worse, but what is better, right? The standard is Jesus Christ. And so how do we, and my encouragement is to think about how do we do this when we get into politics, right? Instead of just comparing uh, political candidates and saying, well, this person isn't as bad as that person. Okay. But that doesn't mean that it's good. Where can we still, I think, live the Christian ethic of loving God, loving our neighbor as ourself? This is difficult. It's much more difficult to call out evil and good, to have to think through every single issue and make a statement about it than to simply kind of jump on on board kind of and and kind of just kind of take a whole heart agreement. And so this is a different thing. Now, um, with this, Albert Moeller uh, talked about uh, in leading up to the election, said, you know, I'm not voting for my neighbor. I'm voting for a president. And so we recognize, I think, that public policy often affects more people than someone's character. And that's true. But again, at the same time, it's do we talk about the character? Do we talk about the different things that are going on with different political candidates, especially someone who's on our side? And so that's, uh, that was that. Now, the last thing I want to discuss is our attitude. Now, I've talked about this before, so I'm going to go quickly on the show, but it comes, my perspective on our attitude comes from three verses. And so I just want to read these here really quick, and then I'm going to get to your questions from the chat and also live call in so you can join there. Uh, the first one here is in Matthew chapter five. I read this. Um, it says, you have heard in verse 21 that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Here's my thought for myself. Can I say that certain things about my president or my governor or whoever it is, or the, maybe the president like Biden and do so without anger? do so without wrong thoughts, right? Jesus was able to do so. 
Jesus was able to perfectly, in his perfect justice, call out wrong and do so without sinning. But I think that we often fall into sin. And so I personally want to err on the side of caution, to try not to be angry, to try not to call people out, you fool, but to rather focus on the arguments, focus on the positions. We also see in 1 Peter 3.15, this is a common apologetics verse, uh, 3.15 is, but if you go back, we see what Peter is calling them to in suffering, right? First Peter is written to suffering Christians. It says, finally, all of you who have found unity, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, do not repay evil for evil, for reviling, for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For it is this you are called that you may attain a blessing. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And here's the apologetics verse. But in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. That's my goal, is to do so with gentleness and respect. Can I respect the dignity of those whom I disagree? That's what we're called to do as Christians. They don't have to earn it. We see them as image bearers, therefore they have this inherent dignity. You don't have to earn your value. You don't have to earn your worth or your respect. We should respect those. Now we stop them when they, again, move into that action that actually starts to strip away the fundamental human rights of individuals to cause harm to people that God has created. But how do I respect those with whom I disagree? Lastly, in churches last Sunday, this was our passage we focused on in Luke chapter six as we're going through the book of Luke. But this topic of loving your enemies, Right, if you love those, verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. It's easy to love the people who love us, to, to be in agreement with those who are on our side. I can love my, the people in my political party and those people love the people in their political party. That's easy. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to do? Even sinners do this, do the same. And if you lend to those with whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But... Love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great for you will be sons of the most high. Now this is, I think the key, and this is where I'll finish. It says, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your father is merciful. How can I show mercy? Respecting the dignity of those with whom I disagree. We need to, as Christians, in our cultural engagement, strengthen the Christian cause, to not compromise the gospel. Christians frequently get called out as being hypocritical, that we say one thing and we do another. Sometimes it's ridiculous. Sometimes I go, I agree. I've seen Christians complain about what non-Christians were saying about, look at these horrible people, look what they're saying about me. And I go, I see it too. Sometimes we have to stop and say, what am I doing? Am I being an image bearer, reflecting the image of God in me? Am I seeing other people as image bearers rather than devaluing people for the sake of politics? So I think in our cultural engagement, if we focus on true tolerance, showing 
respect and dignity and love with to those whom we disagree, not recognizing those three different distinctions, do so with a Christian ethic where we can actually say this is wrong. Now, if we call out our political party, could that possibly hurt our party or make our president, make our person look worse? It could. But I think it look, makes us look more genuine. When we, are, when we preach to love God and love our neighbor, but then we defend someone to the point where we look like we're not being consistent, right? What do we do? Like, we might do harm to our party, but I think our goal is protecting the church, protecting the fellow believer. And then do so with, I think, a humble attitude. Of, of trying to understand. Hey, let me try to understand your point rather than kind of having all the facts. So those are my thoughts on that. So we are going to now try something brand new. We're going to try to jump into the call-in. So, all right, Melissa, can you hear me? Can I hear you? Oh, you just got kicked off. I'm so sorry if that was on my fault. See, this is what happens when you do something for the very first time, mistakes happen. But hey, hopefully this is a benefit. Again, I'll put that number up on the screen. If you want to join the call, you can text 714-989-6927 with your name if you want audio or not. And I will try to get you on the call. There we go. Guest is in the green room. Melissa, you are back. And let me take you off. Melissa, hi. Are you there? Hi, Ryan. Hi, Melissa. So yes. good to see you. Good to see you too. All right. What would you like to chat about? So I, my question goes along with your idea of ethics and politics and what is the best way, and you kind of answered this a little bit already, but the best way to have a civil Christian conversation with someone over social media when you differ on political views? I think this is hard. Um, <laughs> I do not always do it well. Um, there's it, a lot of complaining like, about... Like, yeah, go for it. Um, you know, if you have a, if you're really strong, if you have a strong belief in one party and you feel like if I talk about this, I might lose friends. But then that may always makes you think, how strong is that friendship if we could lose it, even two people being Christians, because one person is offended by someone else's political rhetoric. You know, so Absolutely. It's, it's almost like you can't be as, not say as good of friends as you could be, but when you have to, um, evade conversations because you're worried to losing about losing that person's friendship. That always that doesn't feel good to me. Right, and and I would agree with you on that one. I, I think that it is important, and I try to talk to students about this too, and encourage them. Like you need to stand up for what is right. You need to stand up for what is true. Um, and and the truth is offensive, right? The gospel is offensive to tell people that they are sinners, uh, that that apart from Jesus Christ and His forgiveness, you will pay and you'll be judged for your sin. That is offensive, and people don't like that. Uh, but as many people say, I'm not the one who came up with this, is that we shouldn't make it more offensive, right? And so it's right. it's the message rather than the way that we say it. And this kind of comes back to, I think, kind of the attitude thing that I see is that I think that there are some times where it appears in the message that the attitude is also very offensive along with the message. The other person gets mad and gets offended and the Christian goes, well, the truth is offensive. And it's like, but you were too. Right. And so I often try to think like there are ways in my first two years of marriage that I've talked with my wife and I say something that I don't realize, like kind of makes her upset or offends her or something. She goes, hey, when you say this, like that's hard. And so it's like, OK, how could I have said it? How could I have right. said this in a way that I'm not compromising the truth, um, but I'm doing it in a way that is loving and respectful? And so I think that's one thing that we need to think about is, yeah, if you stand up for truth, Jesus is Lord and people get upset and unfriend you, 
that's what we need to see. And we see Jesus, right, many times in, in, in the Gospels talking about this of like, uh, you know, people, you'll be hated because of me. And, you know, mother against, you know, uh, mother against daughter and son against father, you know, family member against family member. And we see the importance of following Christ. And I think, sadly, I've had many students talk to me about how difficult it is for them to, if I, if I, admit and become the Christ that Jesus is Lord and become a Christian, my friends will look at me differently. My family will kind of disown me. And I think that's the beauty of some of the stories that we've seen, like Nabil Qureshi, uh, who was a former Muslim, become Christian, he passed away. Uh, but people are willing to say like, look, I know my family will disown me for accepting Christ, but I know that Christ is worth it. Right? And that is the most important thing that's worth it. And so being able to confidently stand up for the truth, yet I think that's where, again, the language thing comes in of like, how can we say it in a way that doesn't unnecessarily offend, yet still stands up for truth? And I think that's where we get into political correctness, where it's like, well, that's just being politically correct. It's like, well, there's some things that political correctness is trying to get us to not say the truth. Like if you say there's only two genders, well, that's not politically correct. Well, I'm going to keep saying that because that's true. Right. Yes. But if there's an unnecessary word that I don't need to use, but I can still get the same truth across uh, that is less offensive and helps them hear me, I want to try and do it. Um, and then at the right. same if time, asking good questions. Gender. Yeah. So you say like, if there's only two, there's only two genders. If you think otherwise, you're a stupid idiot. Blah blah blah. <laughs> like, okay, do not need to say the rest of that. You could just say, God talks about that. There's male and female. He created them. Boom. That's yeah. the end. Right. Yeah. And what often happens is like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you. You're so ignorant. You don't understand this. There's two genders. Right. And it's like, yeah. does that help the conversation? I think oftentimes that builds walls, which I don't need to make that comment. I can say, well, OK, so what is it that you're having a hard time understanding here? Why is it that you think there are more than two genders? Right. And again, like I think asking good questions that forces them to think through their view rather than calling them stupid or ignorant or whatever for not holding the same view as you shows that you actually have a love and care for them that you want to understand where they're coming from. And that is it's hard to do on social media. Um, and I'll, right. I'll be honest, I've had online conversations with people and uh, over Facebook or something or even in the YouTube comment section and they use very harsh language and then I call them on the phone or talk to them in a video or see them in person and they're completely different. Right? There's something about having that face to face. And so I think as Christians, how can we say, hey, if I was looking this person in the face, if I was sitting down with this person over a cup of coffee, how would I respond? What would I say? I think that's what I try to keep in mind. Students and our children the idea that if you're behind a screen, you feel like you're a faceless person, but there's someone on the other end of that that's reading those words, and that can definitely be hurt, you know, by tone and words of what's written, not just what's said in person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that is the one of the deceptions of technology is this this anonymous you know, hey, uh, no one can come back and get me. And, and, and maybe even sometimes we have fake accounts and we have not even our real name. I see, again, like on YouTube, I get all these comments from like master17358. And it's like, no one knows who this person is. No one can kind of call them out. No. And, and when there's not that accountability that they know my name, they know where I live, we often say things that we would not have said otherwise. Um, so does that kind of help give a few things? Are there any kind of other thoughts that you had uh, about that question? No, that's great. Um, just really thinking of it, of wanting to continue the friendship and 
be be more like Christ and not just try to win for my own pride is yeah. a good way to, to go about it. Right. Yeah. And and I've, I've said this frequently, too. It's like the, the common Ben Shapiro line. It's like facts don't care about your feelings. And then I go, but yeah, but we should. But we should. Like, I should care about someone else's feelings. And but at the same time, right, Jesus came in truth and love. Right. How do we blend right. those two together um, and, and do it so the right way? So awesome. Well, Melissa, you're the first caller ever. Thank you. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, awesome. Well, have a wonderful rest of your day. And I will actually, I'll see you later. See you at church. <laughs> okay. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, if there's anyone else, I'm, I'm going through the comment section here. Um, that was fun. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. That's a little bit more, I don't know. I think, I think it's more engaging to hear a back and forth than simply just a question and answer. So if you are watching and you want to call in as well, uh, you can do that here. Let me kind of go through our live chat. All right. I don't. Well, it looks like then we will cut this off at 30 minutes. Um, thanks again for an incredible year. I also was curious. Maybe I'll throw it out here and I'll see if there's anything else. Um, but I'm also curious because this is the last video of 2020. 76 videos, I think. This is 77 uh, that have come out this year. It was this year that I started doing live streams and doing live interviews on YouTube. And so I'd just love to, to hear in the comment section below if uh, what has stood out to you, what you have enjoyed, kind of maybe what your favorite interview was as I kind of rethink how things are going to happen for next year. And again, starting off with a conversation on evolution with Fuzz Runner from Reasons to Believe and um, and jumping in with that. So thank you to Ben, my, my screener, uh, for helping me out with that one call in. Thank you to those who are watching live. Um, I'm going to be tearing down the studio. So the next time you see me, there will be no bed behind me. Finally, no bed. I get a bedroom just for a studio. I'm super pumped for that. And so you will see that starting in January. I hope that you guys have an amazing and wonderful Christmas. I hope you have a great new year. And I pray that you continue to think deeply about God and Christianity and Jesus because they are so definitely worth thinking about. See you guys later. God bless. Happy New Year. Won't hesitate to follow